Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This episode was recommended to us by Katie and so I'm going to tell you about the murder of Elaine Colley and how the crime scene evidence helped to crack the case. Caitlin, have you heard of Elaine Colley before? I haven't. I haven't. And if this is an Edmar one, I actually should know it, but I do not. Yes. And I feel like we 100% should know this, uh, but I do not, obviously. Um, but it's Edinburgh. And I think even when I, I go into the story and things, you'll still be like, never heard of it. It was, albeit we were only like three, four, but still. Um, I'll just begin, though. So 46-year-old Elaine Colley was living in Muir House View in Edinburgh in April 1999, in a flat on her own. So Muir House in 1999, it was classed as one of Edinburgh's rough estates that was socially deprived. However, there were more than plenty of good people who lived in the area and there was a real sense of community. And they were also trying to just better the place. Elaine was a solicitor's secretary. She loved her job and she was a loving and caring woman. She had friendships with her neighbours and was sociable and well-liked, and she was just living a happy, independent life. Elaine's brother, sister-in-law and nephew, they were living in New Zealand, and so her close family weren't nearby, but they did keep in contact regularly, and like her nephew came over and visited sometimes, and you know she was always there to greet him at the station and things like that, so they were close. Now, it was the Easter Bank holiday weekend, And one of her neighbours, who Elaine was good friends with, hadn't seen or heard from her in a few days, which was a little unusual. So an officer from Leith Police Station went to look through her letterbox and saw that a potted plant had been knocked over. However, that doesn't really raise alarm bells as it may have just been knocked and and not put back. But due to this, he went to Elaine's neighbour who raised the alarm and asked if she could go and take a look with him. She fortunately also had a spare key to Elaine's place so they could let themselves in. On the 5th of April 1999, Elaine's neighbours went into her home and saw her lying dead in her bedroom. This raised the alarm bells and quickly became a murder crime scene. And so the investigation to catch the killer and to find out what happened to Elaine went underway. Crime scene investigator Tom Finney was one of the first investigators called to Elaine's flat. Tom carried out a visual investigation first and what he noticed to begin with was the potted plant that had been toppled over. There was earth on the ground and also drag marks on the carpet leading into the bedroom. When in the bedroom, Elaine was lying in her bed with the duvet covering her. However, there were small pieces of plastic lying adjacent to the bed and a couple of smears of blood on the duvet cover and some blue fibres on the floor, along with other clues, such as the bed having an electric blanket, but the cable was missing from the control switch and that looked like it had been cut. Elaine's trousers were also on the ground just in a heap, which makes you first believe that something untoward has happened, because when you look at the rest of the place and who Elaine was, she was a very neat person. So it wasn't something like, you you know, you just chuck your clothes on the floor. That wasn't Elaine. So clues were also found out with the bedroom, 
with her glasses being found on the living room floor. Now, the house was very tidy, but it had a few drawers opened. But all in all, it looked as though Elaine had probably just made herself a cup of tea and gone to bed because there was a cup of tea on her nightstand. The forensic team realised very quickly that this was an unnatural death. Dr Perdue recorded his findings on Elaine's body before she was taken away. So Elaine had quite a lot of bruising on her body and particularly on her wrists like she had been bound. The bruising indicates foul play because you can't bruise a dead body so clearly foul play had taken place beforehand. The pathologist provided some answers, but they couldn't provide a definitive cause of death due to the state of the the decomposition of Elaine's body as she was found a good few days after the attack had taken place. What they did confirm, though, was that she had blunt force traumas to the back of her head and that she had suffered awful sexual assault. Another small yet very significant find was from a mark in the inside of her right baby toe. It looked like an electric mark, but with a decomposing body, it makes things rather difficult. However, the pathologist and things investigated further. Skin samples were taken and the results were very surprising as, a, as there was heat coagulation there was heat and copper deposits on the skin. Now, the human body doesn't produce that amount of copper for it to show up. So this points to an outside source, because even if you wrap, you know, copper wire or anything like that around your finger or any other part of your body, it won't show up detected. But if it was from a live conductor, then it would show up detected. So this points to the electric blanket and it also hints to electrical torture using the cable from her electric blanket. Now, Elaine lived in a 16 block of flats with four on each level, which is kind of the normal block of flats in Edinburgh. You you get like, you know, four, eight, 16. I wouldn't say you really go that much higher. You do in some parts, but high block tenements are more of a Glasgow thing. Now, how did no one hear anything? Well, not all the flats in the stair were occupied at the time and also a lot of folk folk just keep to themselves so nobody did hear anything nobody came forward and said something went on there was nothing like that there was no leads pointing to one person or anyone really the forensics were the main front runner of this case and they were heavily relied upon they managed to find a fingerprint on her glasses that were found on the living room floor and your first thought would be that They clearly belong to Elaine because they're her glasses. However, this print did not. So it could belong to the person who brutally attacked her. A set prints were also found on the bottom frame of her bedroom door, which is an unnatural position for fingerprints to be. However, it does suggest that these could be Elaine's and she was dragged from the hall because, you know, there's drag marks into the bedroom. She grabbed onto the door frame during that time, you know, just to try and force herself back away from it. There were no house keys found in Elaine's home either, which is unusual because she would have needed them to get into her house in the first place. Elaine was a very neat and meticulous person, and so all her files and house were in order, like I've already said. 
So this helped lead the police to find that there was, in fact, two of her bank cards missing and Elaine's bank account had been accessed. So they were missing and so were the house keys. So they had to investigate. So at the time, though, Elaine's bank account had actually been accessed, but not by Elaine because she was already dead. And this was around the time where CCTV cameras had been installed outside of ATMs so that they could try and find some footage. So obviously the police went to go there. The police also checked, checked her call logs from her house phone on the days leading up to the discovery of her body. And they discovered that the last phone call made from her landline, the number belonged to a woman who lived just about a mile or so away from Elaine. The police went to question the lady to determine how she knows the victim. However, she knew nothing of Elaine. What the police did find out, though, was that this lady lived with a man called John Jock Reed. John Reed was originally from Dunbar, Dunbar sorry, in East Lothian, and he lived in West Granton with the lady who was the last phone call. He had a vast criminal record, mostly for drunken disorders, assault and petty theft. John had been in and out of prison for various offences, but nothing as serious like murder. Unfortunately for the police, John actually had an alibi for the night of Elaine's death as he had been arrested for being drunk and unsociable and spent the night in the cells. That morning, he was then sentenced to four months in Stockton prison. Whilst he was serving his sentence, though, this gave the police some time to get some facts together and treat him as the main suspect. Because, yes, he has an alibi. He was arrested and he was in jail that night. But he could have done all of this before he was arrested. Now, John's girlfriend informed the police that he also owns a flat, which turns out to be adjacent to where Elaine lives, which he uses more for a postal address and that he doesn't really live in it. The police then secure a warrant, obviously, and they go to investigate this right away. Forensic scientist Shirley Marshall was present and she notes that there was a lot of furniture, electrical equipment and bits of debris lying about the place, which could indicate that the owner of the flat was, you know, into DIY or he could even be an electrician and he just used it as a workshop or a place to keep everything. Blue rope was found in John's apartment lying on the floor. This matched the blue fibres that were found in Elaine's bedroom. There was also knots in the rope that was found and it was also very well spliced which isn't found very often and both the knots and splicing could really indicate a fisherman background because they were done so well. Well it turns out that John did in fact work on fishing boats in the past. The rope was also put under a microscope and some areas of the rope there were minuscule traces of skin and blood which traced back to Elaine's DNA. Whilst in John's flat more evidence was found that pointed towards him, notably an electric cable that had been cut but has the plug attached at the end. Officers had been sent down to the north of England to the electric blanket manufacturer and they were able to call up to the investigators to explain what the plug would look like and if that was the one that could have potentially been removed from Elaine's blanket. The cable was also examined for blood which was a match for Elaine's so this was able to be used to a link to the plug to the murder and to John. Also with regards to the plug 
small bits of plastic were found on the floor in Elaine's house and also a key piece of that white plastic from the cable was found in John's flat between the kitchen and the living room. With regards to the blood, the forensic team also noted that there had been blood on Elaine's clothes and also on her bedding. With John having been arrested on the Friday of the bank holiday weekend, the day that Elaine was murdered, this helped the forensic team immensely because his clothes that he was wearing that day had been seized, so they were able to check his clothes for evidence. Blood was found on the front of John's jacket and also on his jeans, which matched back to Elaine. So all of this evidence is clearly pointing to John Reed. Another piece of evidence to point towards his conviction was that the police looked at the footage of the police station the night John was arrested. And when he was being searched and putting his belongings on the desk, the officer held up keys that had a letter E on them. John was asked at the time what they were for, but he made no comment. So the police checked with Stockton Prison. They took possession of the keys and then checked Elaine's door. One set opened her door and the other set opened up John's door. More evidence against John was that the print they found on the glasses came back to be a match with John. Also remember I mentioned earlier that two of her bank cards were stolen, while images from one of the ATM machines also comes back to show John was using the machine at the time Elaine's card was being used. So it turns out that John Reed was dealing in old cars and other things that were mostly cash and hand jobs. On the day of Elaine's murder, John had received a call from somebody who said that he owed him £100. But at that time, John did not have that money to hand over. Sorry, he did not have that money to hand over, which then became a problem for John, who assured the person that he would get the money. Elaine went into her flat at around 4pm and then at about... 11 minutes later, so 4.11, after that is when the phone call to the girlfriend of John was made from Elaine's landline. Now, what happened was John knocked on Elaine's door to ask to borrow her phone. Now, of course, Elaine said yes, because he wasn't a complete stranger. She had seen him around before and he was her neighbour. Even if they weren't friends, she knew his face to say hello to. So like any of us, probably if you saw a neighbour or someone that you knew, of course you'd let them in to use your phone or, you know, you'd give them your mobile while you were at the front door. Now, John took complete advantage of Elaine's trust that night. John said to the police when questioned about this was that he used Elaine's phone, went and got completely blind drunk, and then the rest of the night is a blur to him. John Reed was charged with the murder of Elaine Colley on the 21st of April 1999, just 16 days after her body was found. Due to the immense amount of evidence against John, he pleaded guilty of Elaine's murder and also pleaded guilty to stealing £300 from her. Elaine's family in New Zealand, they travelled over for the court hearing, which was held in the Edinburgh High Court. John had nothing to say at the trial, obviously, because he did plead guilty. So, he was really just there to you know confirm all the basics like his name etc but John Jock Reed was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum of 15 years before he could apply for parole during this time though it actually came to light that he this wasn't the only crime that John had committed he was accused of a further three sex attacks that he had done in the past 
And when he left Dunbar, he had actually been run out of the place as he was accused of trying to rape a 14-year-old girl. The second sex attack was the attempt to rape a woman in a graveyard, and the only reason for him being unsuccessful was due to the woman screaming and attracting passers-by who chased him off. And the third sex attack was on a male who attempted to attack at a bus stop and was unsuccessful because the man managed to fight him off. Now, I'll tell you the story of the 14-year-old girl. So the 14-year-old survivor was Nicola Scott, and she was contacted 15 years after her attack and asked if she knew John Reed, which she confirmed she did. And then she was informed of his murder charge. So obviously that was a huge shock to her at the time. And it, it takes you right back. And she thinks it could have been her. You, you know, these things, you just never know. But in 1984, Nicola was just 14 years old, living in Dunbar with her parents. And her dad, he was a fisherman. Nicola liked school and she loved hanging out with her friends. And the night of her attack, she'd been hanging out with her friends and then decided it was time for her to go home. Now, at the time, no one was home, and so she decided to go to the chippy with her dog because she was feeling a bit peckish. Outside the chippy is where she met John Reed, a trusted family friend, and so she knew him and had seen him around before. They both went down to the harbour and they were going to walk back to hers. On the way, they passed two pubs, and that is when John said to her to come and look at this glass that they were talking about. And so she walked in and never thought anything of it, as she knows this man. It was pitch black inside the house and there was no lights on. And then the next minute, Nicola had a knife to her throat. The dog was barking and he threatened to kill the dog because of this. Now, John led Nicola into another room, which may have been the bedroom, but it was too dark to tell. And she made her take her clothes off and forced her on the bed and tied her up. During the attack, Nicola was sexually assaulted and smothered. To her surprise, though, John released Nicola and she escaped. When she got to the end of the road where there was a garage, she managed to look back and he had disappeared. Nicola told her dad when she got home in tears and doing what any dad would do, he got his coat on and went to find him. Her dad couldn't find him, though, and so he took Nicola to the local place. However, with not enough evidence and no sign of the guy, he got away with it and no charges were ever brought. Nicola's dad had given him the fishing job. He was a trusted member of the community. Most people liked him, and yet he turned out to be a vile monster that no one could ever see coming. John Reed, he's now dead. He died of COVID, still in prison, in 2021. One question, though, that he took to his grave was, why on earth did he kill and torture Elaine for the sum of just three hundred pounds and that's the story of elaine collie do you have anything to say caitlin i have never heard of that before i don't know how i've never heard of it but i genuinely have never heard of it and i feel like that needs to be known more yeah i 100 percent agree with you it's completely crazy and the fact that there was torture and everything and we've never heard of it before it's disgusting but one thing I will say is big on the evidence like I feel this is one of the cases as well that you know most of the time we we give a wee bit of evidence but this one had like tons of it and I just think it's so 
it's a mental what science can do and what it can achieve and how it can catch absolute monsters. But at the same time, it, it also can never give you a reason of why they did it. 